and welcome back after a long hiatus to the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Christopher Turner. I am your host. Apologies, guys, for the extended, uh, like I said, uh, <laughs> break there. Um, I was planning on having about a five-day trip, right? I was going to go to Phoenix to visit my family and, uh, and my parents, and then I was going to go on to Vegas to kind of uh, visit some friends out there and then also kind of check out a job opportunity with one of my buddies I knew from high school. And uh, so I ended up going out to Phoenix. First part went great. And then I uh, got out to Vegas and was hanging out one night. And my buddies were like, why don't you just stay the whole week? My buddy had worked for me. He's like, just stay the whole week and we'll go back and surprise your mom on Mother's Day. And I was like, that's a fantastic idea. Because I was kind of disappointed the way I ended up planning it beforehand. You know, I, I was like, oh, damn, I missed it by a week for Mother's Day. That's going to suck. So anyway, I was like, why not? So I ended up working with him uh, for his uh, at his company for the whole week and kind of testing out that job. And then also uh, kind of having a good time with my, my buddy that let me stay with him and um, and his girlfriend. And then we went back and I surprised my mom. She was super surprised. That was awesome. I got to spend a uh, couple days with her around Mother's Day. And uh, then I headed back to you guys. So um, I sorry for Like I said, sorry for the hiatus. I wasn't planning on being gone for what was that? I think 10 days or something like that. Uh, but it was actually much needed. I didn't know that I needed a break. Um, but I did, you know, cause I, the weird thing is, is like, I have a very, uh, my schedule is very flexible, <laughs> you know, uh, I have, um, I, I do DoorDash right now, uh, and I'm on unemployment, right? So I don't have a lot of things tying me down. Right. Um, but I, and because of that, I, I thought I was kind of okay. I was just chugging along. I do this quite a bit. Obviously, the podcast, I work on this quite a bit. And uh, But actually taking the break and coming back, I feel refreshed in a way that I didn't think I realized I needed. So uh, sometimes you need a break and you don't even realize it, right? Um, many of you out there might be the same way. I'm one of those people I have a hard time stopping, <laughs> taking a breather, you know? Anyway, so that's all out, all out of the way. Um I'm going to try to pick up kind of where I left off. I feel like quite a bit's happened uh, since I was last on here. I think the last episode was the gluttony episode. And I want to stay on that theme because I I really like the idea of following the seven deadly sins and the seven virtues. Uh, But I also want to talk a little bit about the current events, what's going on around uh, in coronavirus land and kind of get some updates uh, and see, see where we're at, you know, um, one of the things uh, I did a lot of, you know, I, I listened to uh, some of the books I was talking about while I was driving. I did a lot of driving. I, I think I drove 2,000 miles over the last 10 days and um, did a lot of podcast listening. Uh, I listened to the Joe Rogan Elon Musk podcast yesterday, which was fascinating, I thought. Uh, and um, anyway, it through that process, through Joe Rogan, I, I listened to Joe Rogan a lot and he was interviewing a lot of people talking about um, kind of their view on coronavirus, how crazy this is and the, the one of the themes that I, I I see popping up quite a bit is you know obviously there's people that are every I think people have this like base fear or this fear of questioning that it could be bad you know what I mean because they don't want to be the people that like didn't take it seriously they don't want to be the idiots right the fools um, but I also think there is this uh, trend that you're seeing now as we kind of come out of this craziness. Uh, that I think I was kind of describing as we're going through it is like we, we, this overreaction, you know, I think we're starting to feel that this may have been an overreaction, you know? And, um, I think it was, (laughs) I think I've said that before, right? I think it was a, a serious overreaction. Um, I also think it, it, it pointed out a lot of the flaws within, uh, the, uh, institutions we have set up, um, with, within the leadership, in those institutions. Um, 
the flaws within a lot of the ideas that we call founded. You know, uh, I think this time has really pointed out a lot of those things. And <clears throat> moving forward, what I think we need to do as a civilization, as a species, as a society, is to um, try to find a way that we can uh, coalesce these ideas into something that's more unified. And unified theory is, um, you know, a lot of scientists would refer to it as a unified theory of everything. And this is what I think uh, uh, Dawkins talked about, or not Dawkins, um, who's a, oh man, what was his name? He was, uh, he had, I think it was cerebral palsy um, or Lou Gehrig's disease, I think is what it's, what it's called. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, Stephen Hawking, thing. there we go. I don't know why I couldn't re- remember his name, but Stephen Hawking, like his whole life goal, you know, there's a great movie about him as well that kind of sums this up. I think it's called The Theory of Everything, actually, but um, it's this idea that there is this way of like kind of figuring everything out, right? That we can sum everything up in this nice equation. And I don't agree with that idea, but I do think there's some way we could kind of unify the things that we've found as reliable at least, or the things that are the most habitual in the universe as uh, Rupert Sheldrake would like to refer to it as, you know? Um, I think there's a way that we can, we can describe these things um, in context for lack of a better way of describing it. I think that that's been done before, um, but I don't think, like, I, I do think, <clears throat> let me take that back. I don't think it's been done before or else we wouldn't be where we are, right? <laughs> but I do think that's <clears throat> what each of these attempts has been. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing, <clears throat> man, I got a frog in my throat. Apparently that was not right. I was not supposed to say that. Um, <laughs> um, we have not done this before. Um, but I do think that's what our intent has been like the driving force behind innovation I think has been um, Dixie sorry my dog's going to bark a little bit Um, I think the driving force behind innovation has been this desire to unify to to understand things at a deeper level I guess right It's pushed, it's pushed people to, out of their comfort zones or to at least pushed them to question things at a deeper deeper level, you know, which I think is really the only way how you, you, you move things forward. You know, you, get, you have to think of it in this way. If, if the cavemen thought that fire was the only thing we could have discovered, you know, and they never, you know, people never pushed past that, we would still be watching fire, you know, for entertainment too, you know, <laughs> not just for sustenance and warmth, like, In a scary way, we are those cavemen around the fire. Like we're watching this thing. We're watching. Um, we're watching our system as if it's supposed to produce something. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's like a, as if the the uh, the fire itself is innately magical. It's like we believe that science itself science itself is like a magic thing. Most people, not like people in the field, right? Like I think people in the field understand the purpose of the scientific method, the purpose of kind of uh, discovering things through steps, right? Through filling in gaps, this progress, the systematic way of approaching things. But I think in general, people uh, have supplanted religious ideas with scientific ideas, and it's the, but they treat them the same. They don't like they don't. We don't differentiate between those two things. 
And I think this is why some of the podcasts I've had before this, I've said that you can't eliminate faith. You can't eliminate religion itself. I do think it's a fundamental thing, a human thing. It's as human, <clears throat> it's as human as two legs and two arms. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, that's not that good of an example. It's as human as music. It speaks of the depth of the human being. That we have the ability to imagine something outside ourselves. It speaks to the complexity of us. I also think it speaks to the finite nature of life itself. The inability to extend it past a certain point. I also think this is where the idea of time comes in. The illusion of time. I don't believe it is a real thing. Any more real than your dream. Right? It's this thing we have to... It's it's like, if our life is finite, if we know we have a beginning and an end, then you have to... It, it That is a divide. That's You divide something then, you know? You create a linear space. You create a progression. We call it time. But it's not real. Like a table. In the way you can feel it, you can engage with it, you know? We don't have control over it. And in some ways, Einstein referred to it as a combined fabric within, you know, space was combined with time in this fabric. And I think that's right, but I also think it might be wrong. Because it suggests that time is a more tangible thing when it isn't. He's not wrong. That in order for there to be space, there has to be this linear scale. But it doesn't mean that time exists. Let's move on. I don't know why I started there. That was like super... We took it deep real quick, right? All right. <laughs> um, moving on. Let's go to some of these seven deadly sins and see how it applies to the last couple weeks, right? I don't know if it will, right? I'm going on this journey with you. Let's see. Um, So the next deadly sin that I'm going to bring up, and uh, like I said, I'm not going in any specific order, but these are listed in, I think, an intentional order, in order of severity, if I'm not, um, yeah, if if I'm not mistaken. So I think pride is considered to be one, is considered to be the most severe. Um... Excuse me. Uh, apparently, I've got some allergies or something going right now. So, lust. I'm going to read this right from Wikipedia. Lust, or lechery, is intense longing. It is usually thought of as intense or unbridled sexual desire, which leads to fornication, adultery, rape, bestiality, and other sinful sexual acts. However, lust could also mean simply desire in general. Thus, lust for money, power, and other things are sinful. In accordance with the words of Henry Edward Manning, the impurity of lust transforms one transforms one into a slave of the devil. Dante defined lust as the disordered love for individuals. The disordered love for individuals. Hmm. That's that's a really pretty way of describing it. It is generally thought thought to be the least serious capital sin. 
as it is an abuse of the faculty that, excuse me, let me start that over. It is generally thought to be the least serious capital sin, as it is an abuse of a faculty that humans share with animals, and sins of the flesh are less grievous than spiritual sins. In Dante's Purgatorio, the penitent walks within flames to purge himself of lustful thoughts and feelings. So these are the people guilty of lust. In Dante's Inferno, unforgiven souls of the sin of lust are blown about in restless hurricane-like winds, symbolic of their own lack of self-control and their lustful passions in early life for all eternity and unto the ages of ages. Pretty morbid at the end there, right? <laughs> Um, but if you've ever engaged with any of the Dante material, you, it's, it is a very serious subject <laughs> that he, that he's engaging with. Right. So, um, I really liked this one line right here. Dante defined lust as the disordered love for individuals disordered. So it's the unordered it's, it, it, it's unordered love. It's unbridled love, maniacal love in a way, I guess it'd be a way you could describe it. Um, I think everybody can see themselves being guilty of this. I think that's probably why it's considered the least, <laughs> one of the least serious sins. Um, it's, I think, it, what did he say? It refers to, it's generally thought to be the least of the fact of the capital sins because it's an abuse of a faculty that humans share with animals. So it's a lower faculty is what it's saying. It's something that's it's more primal in nature, lust is. <clears throat> something that can't be deleted. It's a drive. Kind of like a like a uh, um, a possession, right? Something that can possess you. Uh, but also something that you have... So this suggests you have some sort of control over, right? You have the ability to allow that possession to take full hold or you have ability to kind of um, define when it does. I guess is what it's kind of saying. And in the modern context, I think the most applicable way we could, the, the most red, obvious way we could apply this would be um, with like pornography, right? Uh, I, I think it's almost impossible for anybody to say they haven't seen or engaged with pornography at some point in their life at this point, right? With the internet. And I think you can see in, in that this unbridled, disordered love, <laughs> right? It's what? It's image after image after image after image or a video or whatever it is, right? Of different people that you apply this lust towards, you know, that you long for. And you just refresh, 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 go through different faces. And like that's, that's, a, that's a, a sinful act. The reason it is, the way this describes, is because it's disordered. It's uncontrolled. There's some kind of gluttony, gluttonous behavior going on as well. Like it's, it's almost like a, <clears throat> it's being gluttonous with your primal self, allowing your primal self to be gluttonous, to go unfettered. And um, I think maybe the reason that lust is one of the ones that is first or listed first here is because, um, Hmm. It's kind of the base of everything. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to read you the seven deadly sins again in order as they're listed. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Those are in order of severity. 
Think about this. Lust, right? Longing, intense longing. What is gluttony? Intense longing for food, for drink, for sex. The overindulgence of these things, right? What drives gluttony? The overindulgence of these things is lust, right? Greed. Same kind of thing. You're lusting for more specificity. It's like greed. You want, you're lusting for all. Sloth. You're lusting for ease. Wrath. You're lusting for revenge. Envy. You're lusting. Envy. You're. Envy and lust are very similar. Let's read envy really quick. Envy. Like greed and lust, there you go, is characterized by an insatiable desire. It can be described as a sad or resentful covet- covetness. Covetnessness. That is a very hard word to say. Covetnessness. Towards the traits or possessions of someone else. It arises from vainglory and serves a man from his neighbor. Let me, uh, let's vainglory. That sounds like a really interesting word. Vainglory, the old English poem. Oh, it's an old English poem. Let's read that. That sounds interesting. Oh, Vainglory is the title given to an old English gnomic or homiletic poem of 84 lines preserved in the Exeter book. Okay, so it's a very long poem. Let's not read that. Um, (laughs) um, Anyway, let's get back on track. Envy. A malicious envy is similar to jealous jealousy in that they both feel discontent towards someone's traits, status, abilities, or rewards. A difference is that the envious also desire the entity and covet it. Envy can be directed directly related to the Ten Commandments. Okay, so envy is lust that not only encompasses things and possessions, but the, the person that possesses them. So envy is lust for the embodiment of another person. That's the way I would describe it. Pride. And it's almost like pride is, is um, lust for perfection, I think. Pride is the lust, of, lust for perfection. Anyway. I think that there might be some kind of there's there's more depth to why this is listed in this order and that lust it may be like the, the the beginning stage of all of these. You know, it can be it can be oriented in a certain way, but because it is like a primal thing, it's a very it's a base thing, it's a subroutine, it's a it's a <clears throat> you know, it's it's the thing that runs in some ways without your control. but you do have control over. It's suggested that you have control over and not only this text, but the fact that lust is considered in a negative light regardless of your religious background. If I tell somebody that word, if I describe that word to to them and what the, what it is, nobody's going to say that's good. Nobody's going to be like, yeah, I do that all the time. You should just let yourself go. I, actually, that's not true. There, there is a, a religion and a faith that tells you that that is, that is okay, and that would be Satanism or the Church of Satan. It will tell you that lust is okay and that you can follow that. I think that's just partially why, because it links to all of the other sins. In some ways, it tells you that you're supposed to lead your life, an unbridled life. Unbridle yourself and allow yourself to do what you feel and only what you feel. 
kind of a scary idea, right? What this is saying is the opposite, that you're meant to control and order yourself, that you're meant to be disciplined, that there's a certain responsibility innate to each individual life. It's also unique and specific, and that you have the responsibility to pick up that weight. It's the image that you see in, uh, in the ideal person or the hero, the archetype of the hero throughout history, especially in religious, in the religious context would be the figure of Jesus. The weight is the cross. You see him carrying this cross, this burden. The idea being you pick up your own cross, right? If that, if that kind of analogy doesn't work for you, whatever other one or metaphor doesn't work for you, whatever one do, uh, other one does, you know, supplant in its place. I think that's the purpose for these different religions. None of them are right. None of them are wholly right. But none of them are wholly wrong either. They're all kernels of the truth, kind of like you, individually. You know, there's this fractal quality to the world and life itself. Was it fractal? Let's see. I'll describe it to you. I like Wikipedia. I'm going to continue to go to Wikipedia because I go down little rabbit holes that are fun. In mathematics, a fractal is a self-similar subset of Euclidean space whose fractal dimension <laughs> strictly exceeds its topological dimension. So if you were wondering, that's what it is. <laughs> All right. This is a better kind of more simplified <laughs> description. Fractals appear the same at different levels as illustrated in successive magnifications of the Mandelbrot set. So the idea being, let me describe this better. If you were to take like a leaf off of a tree, if you look at that, it's going to have this structure to it. You know, you'll have like this center vein and then you'll have these veins that go out of it, right? But it'll be in this similar structure. The idea is that if you zoom in on the leaf, that structure repeats. So the patterns repeat all the way down. As you continue to zoom in, it'll continue to repeat all the way down. It'll also do the, the idea is it'll also do the same thing zooming out, right? If you were to zoom out, what you'd end up seeing is kind of this, you know, if you zoom out on the earth, you see this ball. But then if you kept on zooming out, you'd see this ball with other balls spinning around or another ball spinning around it. And if you zoomed out even further, you see this big ass ball with like 11 other, 11 other, right? How many planets are there? 10 other, 10 other planets, nine other planets? I don't know, whatever. Uh, there's some out there, right? All these balls spinning around. <laughs> uh, mine out of the go to Chris. Anyway, the the <laughs> sounded very dirty. Um, the you get what I'm saying though, right? It's this pattern repeats, and then you zoom me out even further, and it's like a, it's the same. It's like more of those, you know, more little balls with like another, you know, you get it. <laughs> I'm not going to keep saying it because it all sounds weird. But anyway, that's a fractal, and it's a repeating pattern, regardless of magnification. You go up or down, pattern repeats. That's, I think, that is a, that's an innate structure in the universe. And there's this weird fractal quality to life. I think... I think what we lust for in the modern day is we lust for this comfort, this ease. In, in, in some ways, sloth, I think is a really good way to describe the modern condition too, but we're going to stick with lust for this one. We, yeah, we do. We lust for this ease of life, this, uh, this comfort, this knowing as well. We lust for knowing and all knowing and om- omniscience, you know, and all seeing. And I think there's something deeply evil about that. 
the unbridled lust for all knowing. I think that's an evil idea that will lead our civilization astray or to destruction. The path to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> that's one of my favorite quotes of all time. What is that from, actually? I need to know that. The path to hell is paved with intentions. There we go. Oh, it's a proverb. Wow. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. It's actually the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's a proverb. An alternative form is hell is full of good meanings, but heaven is full of good works. Mmm. I like that. Hell is full of good meanings, but heaven is full of good works. Exactly. We're talking games a game of inches here. <laughs> Life is a game of inches. We long for this omniscience because we think that it's the way that we can make end suffering. Good intentions. You see, I think this is part of the part of the what's so scary about like the idea of and I bring it up all the time the idea of communism because I found it attractive when I was going through school. I studied politics. I understand how attractive the ideas can be when you engage with the Mar when you engage with Marx and those those theories. You know what I mean? Like that's they're very attractive because they give you this idea that you can solve suffering. It says that that is true. It's an idea built into this, into communism in order for it to work. It has to, you have to be able to equalize things. You have to equalize things. And people don't think about it that way because they, they always like to like put it up like like move, move the responsibility away from themselves so it's like oh yeah no it, it could work because somebody would figure it out really well if you can't figure it out how why would you assume anybody else would you know what i mean like and yes i'm not saying that you you should be so audacious to assume that you're the smartest person in the world and that nobody else is going to figure anything else out no 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 what i'm saying is it's a it's a pretty logical th assumption that other people observe and experience things similar to you in the world and that if you see suffering in the world and other people see suffering in the world the best assumption is that that is an innate quality of the world not that it can be deleted assuming the opposite is ex is actually how you cause that kind of suffering to explode in a way and it's it's, dem it's, de it's been demonstrated throughout history over and over and over and over again the most recent form of that being communism i think now this is, I think, stems from a lust for omniscience, this all-knowing, this full control. It's like trying to bridle life itself. And that's a, like a satanic idea. You're confusing yourself with God itself. But the problem is, is when you delete God, when you delete religion, you're no longer held to that standard. You're no longer held to this kind of uh, this structure that says or tells you that this is a sinful thing. And because of this, people think, oh, if it doesn't tell me it's a sinful thing, it's not a sinful thing. No, it's wrong. These, these ideas aren't products of control, <laughs> like people like to assert. These ideals are fundamental truths built into 
the nature of things. I think. I see a lot of people uh, with this coronavirus thing. I'm trying to connect this lust with it because I think there is a um, this intense longing. Um, I think it's more of a disordered love. Yes, there it is. What what it is, is we are lusting for the elimination of death, right? In the form of a virus. What do we want? We want a vaccine. What is that? Eliminating the virus itself. What does the virus do? It kills people. You're trying to eliminate death. There's just a couple steps in between. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But you can't. The more you try to do that, the more death you're going to create. I promise you that. It's the whole reason I've been saying what I've been saying this whole time. If we keep pushing this, if you keep trying to keep things closed, keep trying to control people, you're going to cause death. It's not going to be in the way you're expecting. It could be in a very violent form from those people. But you don't eliminate it. See what I'm saying? You just change the form of it. One of the ideas I've been try- having trouble with ever since I uh, engaged with Rupert Sheldrake is this idea of the conservation of energy and mass. Because the conservation of energy assumes that energy can't be destroyed or, or created. It can only be changed. It changes form, right? So I like this idea. It's attractive to me because it makes sense in this context. If you think of a death as a form of energy, you can't eliminate it. You know, it's like a fundamental reality. You also can't run away from it. If you're running away from the virus, if you're wearing a mask, I think you're running away from life itself. I also think in a weird way you might be damning yourself by doing that. I don't mean to (laughs) spread fear. I don't mean, uh, I'm not a medical professional, right guys? You want to listen to me, you can. If you don't, you don't. You don't need to, right? I do not wear masks. It's not because I'm trying to protest anything. It's simply because I believe if something's out there is going to kill me, I need to catch it first. It's going to kill me either way. I can hide from it for like 30 minutes or an hour or two days or two weeks. But if I don't catch it now, it's got a chance of getting worse. That's how viruses happen. I'd rather catch it now when I have a chance of surviving it than when it mutates in six months or a year or two years. Like I guarantee you it will do. But wear your mask. Protect yourself. That's what you think you're doing, right? You're not. You're lusting for the elimination of death. Something that you can't have no matter how bad you want it. And all we're doing is throwing a tantrum like a bunch of three-year-olds on a global scale right now. I don't want death. Too bad. Here's your serving of it. I just... Sorry if that's a little gruesome or dark or blunt. But I do think that's true. I had a lot of deep conversations with my uh, my friend, my be- one of my best friends, uh, my best friend growing up, right? Like like my brother, uh, and I stayed with him 
and his uh, his girlfriend was there the whole time too, and, and had we had a lot of talks. All of us did, and and uh, some of them were profoundly deep. And I I think one of the things that's really shook me with those conversations is my friend. Like I said, if anybody has a similar perspective to me, it's him. We grew up together. We shared the same ideas, the same dreams. We shared a lot of the same experiences. We both went to the military, right? Like we both came back to Phoenix. We both went to Arizona State University. I mean, there's so many things that we mirror. It's kind of crazy. But we divulge in our opinions of things now. Not, but it's in a weird way we don't. But our conclusions are different. Now, I'm not trying to say anybody's right or wrong because I don't think that that's we will look about things. It's not the right way to look at things. Right and wrong is not the right way to look at things. Black and white, no, it's not how the, it's not how things are. It's more like truthiness. If you had to describe, I think Jordan Peterson called that that one said something like that one one time. It's like truthiness. It's like if that if you had to make a word for it, it's truthiness. It's this feeling. It's like that has a truthiness to it. You know what truth is. You feel it. It's like a key fitting into a hole. When you say it, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that that works. You know what I mean? Or fitting a fitting a, a peg, you know, uh, into its associated hole. You know, like that's it's 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 that kind of a yeah, that's right feeling. Um, I think that one of the easiest ways for us to lead good lives is to follow that feeling inside of ourselves. Don't say things that aren't true. You, it's really hard to do. You may start out, you, you, you may start out, <laughs> you know, like, if you start doing this, you might notice you do it a lot. Like you lie a lot. And I'll, most people do. <laughs> We trick ourselves into thinking we don't lie, but we do. We lie to ourselves more than anything all the time, constantly, constantly lying, 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 lying. It's that ego telling you all these different things, building you up into something you're not, telling you you need things you don't. But we also lie to other people. We say things that aren't true, that we know aren't true, but we get used to saying those things that aren't true when we push down the feeling that says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't push down that feeling. It's there. Because I think that's how you lead yourself to whatever you're supposed to do. Say what's true. There's something innately valuable about your life, individual, individually, your life, not mine, yours. And you need to speak that truth. Nobody else can do it for you. You can't hide from it. You can't run away from it. If you do, you'll end up miserable at the end of your life. I promise you, because it'll come back to haunt you. The things that people worry about on their deathbed are these things. The things got left unsaid, the lies told that shouldn't have been. That's the shit you don't want to do throughout your life. So if there's anything you can implement in your life that I could recommend to you to implement in your life, it's this. Now that being said, who am I to say it, right? I'm a 29-year-old kid here. But I do think that that's true. I'm supposed to say that. So chew on that for a second. Maybe you're supposed to say something too. Get what I'm saying? 
we got to start listening to that. There's this idea that we, I was talking with my, my again, my, my friends about that. I think one of the ways we've gone astray economically, at least is in assuming that everybody can do anything. It's this push for equality. It actually led us astray. Let me explain what I mean. Let me unpack that. I think you are very, there's a, I think there's a lot of purpose and intent behind you and your existence individually. I think each and every, every person has their own very individual weight and responsibility they're supposed to pick up and carry forward. But at the same time, if you tell people that they can do anything or think it can be anything, they're going to look at everything and be anything. They're going to they're gonna get confused. There's too many options, man. There's too many options. Simply put, someone one, one could waste his whole life or her life doing nothing but searching for the right fit. Because we've turned off the thing that guides you to it. And instead, we've given you a pamphlet and said, hey, browse this. <laughs> you know what I mean? As if that's going to do anything. Watch a kid when they're playing, what they're attracted to, what they're drawn to. Watch a, watch a, watch a teenager, what they do in their free time. You know, let them do that. There's going to be a kid that's attracted to rock and roll, and there's going to be a kid that's attracted to the science fair. There's going to be a kid that wants to dance all day, and there's going to be a kid that wants to play basketball until the sun goes down. There's going to be a kid that absolutely loves engineering, and there's going to be a kid that wants to garden. Every single job you can imagine, there's going to be somebody that wants to do that. Watch dirty jobs. There's jobs that you could probably think that nobody would ever want to do. Ever. 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 You know, literally standing in human feces. And there's people doing that with smiles on their faces saying they don't want to do anything else. So what I'm saying is we're going around about things backwards. You're very specific. You're supposed to do something very specific. That's a lot of pressure and a lot of weight, right? To find what that is. Problem is, you have to pick that up or else the whole world degrades. That's how serious, how big of a problem this is. It really is the most logical way for us to go about fixing the world. It's for you to pick up and figure out what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why we focus on the individual in our found, the founding fathers focused on the individual. You need to develop yourself. So do I. So does everybody else. It's the only way we grow as a world as a civilization we have to continue to do that now you know what I mean I think one of the ways we continue to do that is to recognize the failings of our current system and the way we correct that is to follow truthiness (laughs) inside yourself there's a lot of people without work right now it's a great transition time to follow this you want to reset You feel like you need to reset? You feel like something's calling you to something else? Do it. Do it now. At the same time, recognize it's not all daisies and roses. By by doing that, you are also going to accept or have to give up a lot of things. Let's say you have a high-paying job. Let's say it pays six figures right now, but you hate it. And you're sitting there right now on the other end of this mic, and you're saying, hey, (laughs) I hear you. I want to change. Well, you have to also look where you're sitting, what you're sitting on, what kind of food you're eating, what kind of car you're driving, what kind of clothes you're wearing, 
All that stuff is related to that job too. All that stuff. That's you too. And that has to go away as well. It doesn't necessarily it doesn't all have to go away. But if you're going to transition away from something that is a let's say a high paying job, logically you have to assume you're going to lose some of that. At least for a little while, right? Because you're going to have to restart. And nobody restarts from the top of the mountain. You always start from the bottom. A lot of times it's a long climb. So you have to be ready and willing to give up the things that come with <laughs> that job that you hate. The things that you love that come with that job that you hate. There is no black and white. There is no right and wrong. There is no up and <laughs> just up and down, right? There's, 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 there's in-betweens. There, life itself is frustrating <laughs> like by definition it's coy <laughs> hmm. but I guess what we'll try to wrap this up with as we get kind of towards the end of time I think I'm kind of running low on juices here but watch that truthiness in yourself listen to that if you want to lust for something, if you want to bridle that love, order it in some way. Direct that love uh, towards your passions, the things that speak to you. You know? Imbue things with love. Food. You can do that if you want to. Cook. Put all your effort into cooking. I'm not saying that you have to, and you have to watch this as well. Watch because you also don't want to be gluttonous, right? You don't want to like, you see how these things all start to balance themselves out. Like you don't want to put so much love into your food that, you know, you uh, like, like you love, you're just looking forward to nothing but eating. Right. But there's also something to like being able to prepare a meal with love and maybe not partake in it. Have you ever tried to do that? Like cook something for somebody else and not eat it. But like watch them enjoy it and still imbue love in something like that. Or do something artistic, paint something. You know, create a piece of music, create a poem, journal. Maybe just clean your house, imbue your house with love. Maybe it's your partner. But make sure that you're not longing for something in a disordered way, in something in a way that makes you feel out of sorts. You know, because it leads to something. It leads to these other sins. It leads to these other downfalls. These, these, you know, tripping points. And if we can control and bridle ourselves, I think we avoid these other things. <laughs> you know? And in the modern context, at least in the, in the context of the coronavirus, I think. We need to bridle our lust for complete and utter safety. Because it's exactly what will be the downfall of our civilization and our society. We will give away all our freedoms. We're already trying to do it. There's people that are trying to take them because they feel like they're because they're painting themselves as saviors. Those people are very, very dangerous. Those are big, big, big egos. You need to be really careful of. 
those guys can turn into like very, very evil people. Why? Because they actually believe that shit. They actually believe that they're doing it for the good of, of humanity. They actually believe that they have the power or the omniscience or have figured out enough to tip the scales in what direction they see fit. You don't see how audacious that is, how dangerous that is? They've figured it out? Hmm. I think those people you could consider prideful. It's the most deadly of the seven deadly sins. It's the worst. Don't listen to them. <laughs> Don't do that. Do not follow and do not listen to them. Listen to truth. You feel it. That's how you know it. It's like a compass. Listen to that. Let that guide you right now. When you're in darkness and you don't feel it and you don't know where to go, look inside. Because there's something there and it'll show you where to go. Whether you believe it or not, it's there. <laughs> you don't have to believe in it. That's the thing. It's so funny. You don't have to believe in it. It's there either way. So listen. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And with that, I think that's all I got, guys. That was fantastic. I feel so much better, right? <laughs> like this is a, if you couldn't tell, this is a cathartic thing for me, right? This is, this started as a journal before I ever did the beta podcast. Like what I would do is just sit down and journal this way you know, and listen back to it and see how it happened, how it worked. And then I was like, Hey, you know what? Like, that's actually kind of entertaining. Maybe somebody else will find it entertaining. And now it goes out to you guys. Right. But I, I feel great. And you guys should try the same too. I encourage you to, man. Like maybe, I, maybe I, not everybody is going to have a message to speak in this form. Right. But maybe you do. If you do do it, you know what I mean? If you, if it's in the music form, do it. If it's in some other form, do it. Video games, I don't care what it is, whatever it is. If there's, there's literally a myriad. You could be interested, like I told my buddy, in designing garden hoses. Doesn't matter. That's awesome if you do, if you are. I truly believe there is somebody that would be fascinated and totally enthralled and imbue a garden hose with love. <laughs> but they got to find it. There is no hierarchy in things to do. Just things to do. And individuals to complete them. So do some shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So with that, guys, I will be back soon, I think, because... Uh, oh, 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 I didn't even tell you guys my news. Okay, so hey, that was kind of a... This will be my big news, right? Um, so after that uh, big old trip, I decided, and my friend offered me kind of a job and apprenticeship out there with his company. Uh, and he works in, uh, to explain the job, he works in, um, like vinyl printing. Uh, so the big, large signs and vinyl booths and things like that for conventions, but also like the high end vinyl wraps for, uh, like, um, like vinyl installing for like high end cars, like Lamborghinis and Porsches and Ferraris. And so that's kind of right up my alley. You know what I mean? Um, and also I like the technical side of it, kind of the printing, printing process. And so, uh, he's going to take me on kind of as an apprentice, train me up in the body wrapping and other parts of the business. And, um, but in order for that to happen, I got to move to Vegas. So that means move coming in like, it could be as short as like eight days, but it could be as long as like 15. But I'm trying to get, I'm going to try to get out there uh, by the end of the month, basically. Uh, I'm going to be going to Las Vegas. And, you know, it is kind of a bittersweet uh, appeal for me. You know, I, I love Colorado deeply. I mean, this is where I was born. I feel at home here. It's the most beautiful state, I firmly believe. <laughs> and, um, I don't want to leave it, but I do have to say that Colorado has become nearly unattainable for most if you are not making uh, a certain income. Like I was describing before, if you're not willing to make 60, 70 plus thousand dollars a year working at a very specific type of job, I think it's very hard to make it in this in, in this economy in this area, which is a shame because it's a gorgeous state that 
really uh, should be shared with people. But uh, because of that, I'm going to follow this opportunity to a place that's a little more reasonable to live for now. And uh, we'll see what happens, right? Could be a mistake because Vegas might get hit really hard with all this economy shit. I actually almost guarantee you it will. But I don't think that his business is going to get hit very hard. Seems like it's going to be pretty good. So I'm excited uh, to at least learn a trade, you know, and to work with my hands. So um, that is my big news, guys. And what does that mean for the podcast? Not much. Honestly, I'm going to continue to do this um, just like I've been doing it before. And uh, I'll always make sure to prioritize this because this is something that is deeply important to me. And it is my truth like I just said, right? So um, this will be here either way. <laughs> All right. Uh, so with that, guys, that is the Unfounded Podcast signing off. Have a good and safe day, and I will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.